I got to go to Stanford, which was an incredible experience. It is smack dab in the center of the tech industry in a lot of regards. So I was steeped in all of the tech stuff when I was a grad student for two years. I chose not to pursue anything in tech and go off and do my own thing for a variety of reasons. The number one reason, probably looking back on it, was that I actually wasn't ready. Despite being several years out from injury, having several years of physical therapy under my belt, two years of grad school under my belt, I wasn't really ready to be at work full-time, busted my butt in the way that you need to be. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Welcome, everyone. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. I am here with Breakline alum Dan Bershinsky. Dan is a United States Army veteran. He served in the infantry. He went on and earned his MBA from Stanford Graduate School of Business. He's also a former entrepreneur, the founder of 26 Industries. He came through Breakline and is currently a senior consultant at IBM. Dan, I'm so excited to welcome you to the Breakline Arena. And would love for this to just be an informal conversation. You, together with our entire Breakline community, are helping us celebrate the launch of Breakline Transcend, which is our newest vertical that is dedicated to people with disabilities. And so thank you so much for supporting us in this expansion of Breakline. And as we get started, would you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? We'd love to hear more about who you are, more about your journey. And you're a veteran, Dan, and my experience with the U.S. military veterans in the Breakline community is that they're incredibly humble. And so I will be interjecting <laughs> as necessary, but would love for you to just kick things off and tell us a little bit more about you. Sure. My name is Dan Bershinsky. I am 38 years old. I grew up in a really nice little suburb of Atlanta called Peachtree City. So I'm a native Georgian. I went to college, West Point, at the, our country's military academy, and wanted to be an Army officer right after graduation. So I went to West Point. I got to be an Army officer. It was a job I really loved and enjoyed. Unfortunately, on my first and only deployment, which was to Afghanistan in 2009, I was pretty seriously wounded. I stepped on a hidden IED and instantly lost both my legs and broke a bunch of bones and some other stuff. But my soldiers saved my life. And then the U.S. military's medical system took pretty good care of me and kind of put me back together. But really, the implication there is that for the first 25 years of my life, I was a I did not have a disability. If you will, I was a regular person. But at 25 years old, I suffered a pretty significant setback to my life plans. And obviously, I suffered a pretty debilitating 
injury that is now a lifelong disability. At the same time, I was also incredibly lucky in a lot of ways, and we can talk about that. I've had a lot of resources to include Breakline at my disposal, and I've been able to build a life that I can really enjoy and I think I'm thriving with. Mm. So that's me. Okay, so here's where I have to interject. After this experience of your injury and your recovery, in your application to Breakline, you talked also about how you worked your butt off to apply to business schools. And you skipped this whole chapter, Dan. So tell us about where you went and tell us a little bit about that experience too. Yeah. So when I was wounded, of course, my job as an army officer turned into, went from being an infantry platoon leader in combat, leading soldiers to really just being a patient and taking care of myself. So the first real hurdle I had to overcome was going through years, almost four years of full-time physical therapy and rehabilitation to learn to walk, but also just to learn how to live my life now without legs. A part of that was figuring out what I wanted to do after the military. It was pretty clear that the best case scenario for me would be to take a medical retirement from the army and then do something else. So the something else I settled on was business school. And I worked really hard to study for the GMAT and write some good essays. And I was fortunate enough to get accepted into Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, which ended up just being a phenomenal experience and, you know, incredible learning opportunity, as well as a great credential to put on my resume. So, Dan, I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this, but you and I overlapped at Stanford. And I actually I'm aware of that. Are you? Yes. I first saw you when I was an assistant dean at Stanford, and I was having coffee on one of the patios with one of my colleagues, and he looked at you and he said, that's Dan Bershinsky. He's an American hero. <laughs> you were, at the time, you were walking across campus on your prosthetic legs. And yeah. I got chills, like, just thinking about who you are and what you've lived through and what you've accomplished. And I wanted you to know, like, that was how he described you. He's an American mm -hmm. hero. I mean, that's incredibly nice. I don't think it's deserved. I didn't do anything heroic, but I recognize that I went through a lot. And if other people can find my story and my journey motivating and uplifting, then I totally welcome mm -hmm. that. I feel like I was helped tremendously at every single step in my journey. And if I can help mm -hmm. other people in any way, that is what I want to do. So that's really nice mm -hmm. of you to say, Bethany. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all true. So Dan, you came through Breakline and you came through Breakline, obviously prior to Transcend, you, you were part of our veterans community. And I have had this experience as we communicated with the Breakline community, as we always do, whenever we are planning something significant as we are with expanding in this direction, we seek their advice and their input. And I've seen this very distinctive pattern with our veterans who are also people with disabilities, that they are reluctant to identify publicly as a person with a disability if their disability is invisible. And so one example of that, of course, is PTSD. And actually, Dan, I had this conversation with a veteran who has an invisible disability. And I was sort of gently asking him about his hesitation. And he said, you know, it's not as life-changing as the experience that Dan had. And someone like Dan really would need to give me permission to claim this badge as my own. And 
I'm raising it because it's been such a pattern with our veterans and it surprises me. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Let me kind of zoom out a little bit. I said something earlier in our conversation that, you know, until I stepped on that bomb in Afghanistan at 25 years old, Mm -hmm. I had lived a quote unquote normal life. And I chose that word consciously because I think it's the most kind of common language to use. But if you stop and examine it, really, it's not quite fair because it implies that people with disabilities are abnormal. And that's not mm-hmm. true. I don't think really any human being for any reason is abnormal. We're all human beings and we come in a variety of flavors and that's to be expected. Additionally, disabilities are incredibly common and they are on a spectrum. Yeah. They can run the gamut from things that you know, mildly annoy you daily or a few times a year to things that are just absolutely debilitating to impact your life daily or even minute by minute. And if we don't talk about disabilities and if we don't acknowledge them, Mm -hmm. so to get back to your question, if we don't claim them, then we're not Mm -hmm. speaking about them publicly. And if something is common and disabilities are common, but we don't speak about them, Yes. Then they become hidden. They become uncommon Mm -hmm. in a practical manner. And so I guess my response would be people don't want to appear different. But if we hide our differences, then when our differences have to come out, it allows others to view us differently, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So I don't have a choice. I lost my legs. I mean, literally, they're just gone. And, you know, plenty of human beings lose body parts. But It's noticeable, so I can't really hide it. And I recognize that I'm kind of unique when I'm in a crowd, unless I'm at, you know, the national conference that the Amputee Coalition holds every year, then I'm, you know, part of the majority. But I can't hide it. And that said, it's also not my whole identity. So I, there are times where I want to acknowledge it and there are times where I don't. So to any other person with a disability, particularly a veteran or any other human with a hidden disability, I don't want anyone to hide a part of themselves because they're worried about what I may think of them. You don't need my permission Mm. to acknowledge your disability. You don't need anyone's. And so, yeah, I think what it boils down to is if we don't talk about our reality, then it gets Mm -hmm. buried and truth is never good when it's buried. It's always best to bring things out into the light. Yeah. If that makes sense. Do you remember Andy Ratcliffe from Stanford? I don't think I do. Remember him? You didn't have him. Okay, so I talk about him a lot. (laughs) I need to tell him how many times I mentioned him on this podcast. But one of the things that he says all the time is that information wants to be free. And I think, I don't know if it's American culture, if it's just humanity in general, but there's, I think you're right. And you imply this, that there's some fear, anxiety around difference. And what if we could just claim it as the thing that sets us apart in a really interesting and unique way? And I'm also thinking, though, about, Dan, I don't know if you know this, my eldest daughter has alopecia. Okay. So she has no hair. And she rocks her bald head to school and to sports and, you know, hanging out with her friends and whatever all day long. She's so cool. And like you, it's very obvious that something sets her apart. And I'm interested in your perspective on this. She loves to talk about volleyball. Dan, if you wanted Uh to ask her about setting and serving and hitting, I think girlfriend would talk to you for two hours about that. 
What she does not like is somebody walks up to her and says, hey, what happened to your hair? You know, she doesn't like the immediate identification of her difference as something that sets her apart. Any thought, like in terms of your experience, any thoughts around that, like as we as a society and allies and admirers and fans kind of come together, your thoughts on, you know, how do we appreciate and be respectful and of people's privacy at the same time? Yeah, it's, I have felt the exact same way at certain yeah. points in my life and in certain instances. I think anyone with a disability gets it. I look at it this way. Every person wants to be acknowledged for who they are. And if you're looking to build an actual relationship and not just, you know, a fleeting encounter with a stranger at the grocery store or out on the sidewalk, you know, you want your friends, you want the people in your life to really understand you, your whole you. Mm. And ideally, they will. That usually feels pretty good. But when you're out, you know, at the grocery store or walking down the sidewalk or, you know, at a volleyball tournament, you don't necessarily have time to have a deep mm -hmm. conversation and get to know every single other person that you pass. So, of course, you're going to have fleeting encounters. And if you have a visible disability or if you're just rocking a wild hairdo that day, you know, people may notice mm -hmm. it and come up and say hi, like, oh, you dyed your hair purple. Like, what's that mean to you? What's the story? So there's a time and a place for it. And I will say that I regularly have people stop and talk to me. And it's kind of fun to just sit back and be an observer. Like you mm -hmm. can't notice that most of the time I'm sitting in a wheelchair and I have two prosthetic legs attached to me. And sometimes I'm standing up and walking on those prosthetic legs. So people interact with me and not bring it up. And I appreciate that. And my personal attitude mm -hmm. is if people bring it up, I also appreciate that. And I don't mind talking mm -hmm. about it, but I don't want it to be the whole conversation. I don't want it to be yeah. all that they care about. And I think one of the coolest aspects of having a disability, as odd as that may sound, is mm -hmm. that I just see the world a little differently now. I think it really forced me to mature. And it's not fair to expect other people who don't know what it's like to live with a disability it's not entirely fair to expect them to always get it right. So I have a lot of emotional patience for other people, but it is really nice when I don't have to be patient with other people and when they interact with me the way I like to be interacted with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a good point that you do, you allow grace for other people and, you know, the mistakes that we make as humans when we have the best of intentions and we're trying. But still, you know, we can screw it up and to have grace for those moments. And also to understand that it's important to have expectations and have standards, you know, for how people interact and to have preferences. I always tell my daughter, just because somebody asks you a question does not mean you owe them an answer. <laughs> so like, if true. you don't feel like talking about it in that moment, you can say kind of next, you know. Or yeah, and so much... So much matters in the context, right? When I am yes. out in public and a little kid, I mean, little kids are the yes. funniest creatures in the world. Little mm -hmm. kids notice me and they can't help it. Kelly yeah. and I were just traveling this past weekend and moving through the airport. I think I heard two or three different moments where a little kid is like, mom, look at that guy. He has robot legs or uh -huh. honestly, it's usually he has robot legs, which is almost literally correct. But anyways, I would never begrudge a kid for saying that. And the fun thing about kids is 
they're interested. If I talk to them and explain things, I was a soldier. I got hurt. The doctors gave me these new legs. No, they don't really do any cool tricks. Let me stand up and walk for you. See how slow I am. Once I do all that, the kid basically loses interest and is like, oh, there's a squirrel climbing the tree. I'd rather go chase that. It's only yes. adults I have found are ever potentially awkward in that situation because the adults can kind of understand the implication of like, oh, I mm-hmm. bet that makes life very difficult for him. A kid is just like, oh, robot legs. Well, I like to play with my Transformers mm-hmm. and my G.I. Joes. That makes sense. So yeah, the context matters. Grace goes in both directions, but a person with a visible disability out in the world is undoubtedly going to run into some awkward situations. It's kind of just a fact of life, but I think it's getting better mm-hmm. in our society and I'm happy about that. Yeah. And again, to tie it back to our earlier conversation, it's only getting better as long as we acknowledge that disabilities are out there, yeah. that disabilities make us different, but not in a bad way. And, you know, what helps is a program like Transcend that advocates for people with disabilities and says, hey, you, you know, you are already and you should be contributing Mm -hmm. in the business world, in the tech industry. And that's okay. Totally. I'm thinking about like part of what you share with us so far is, you know, respect and acknowledgement for the experience that you had that led to your disability and you and your life with a disability now and how that's unique, but also all the different ways in which we're really similar and we have tons of stuff in common. And it feels like, you know, if we put those things on a scale, the scale is heavily weighted toward what we share as people and our common experiences. This is like a little bit of an unformed question, but I'm interested in your perspective on it. And I'll just share like a bit of my personal background and I'll share it as long as you promise not to feel sorry for me, Dan. And I promise not to feel sorry for you so we can engage in the pact. Okay. Okay. Deal. (laughs) So my husband and I lost our first child in the third trimester of my pregnancy. And it was an extremely rare medical complication. And I remember in the aftermath of that experience, feeling completely alone because I didn't know anyone else who had had that experience. Mm -hmm. And I remember very distinctly feeling as though I also had had an amputation. And the reason why I felt that is because my son was still supposed to be part of me. He was supposed Mm -hmm. to be connected to me. And I remember like during this like acute grieving period, somebody that I worked with made a comment that was something like, you know, you're kind of in a club of one now. And people say, people get nervous, you know, and they're trying to say the right thing and it can end up coming out in strange ways. But I remember being like, I'm already really feeling lonely in this and I don't want to be in a club of one. You know, I want to be part of it. (laughs) I want to just... I want to be part of a team. You know, I want to be part of my community. I want to be part of my society and not feel like this thing has set me on a completely different path that nobody else is walking. As I share that story with you, you know, any reflections on your own experience of, in some ways, you know, experiencing your disability as a difference, but in other ways, really experiencing yourself as a human and just, you know, like part of humanity, part of your community, part of society, 
and wanting to be able to have both of those things present, but also not really wanting to be called out as like a completely different category. I think your story, Bethany, is a perfectly analogous to having a disability, at least in one regard, as I see it. And that circles back to what we were talking about before, about disabilities are incredibly common. Losing pregnancies or having trouble conceiving in the first place is also incredibly common. And yet it's almost taboo. Both things are almost taboo that we don't easily talk about in society. Although I think I see that changing for both topics. But yes, when I talk with my mom or my friends who have children, my relatives who have had children, you know, the statistics escape me right now, but lots of couples have a lot of difficulty conceiving and yet we're always coy when we talk about, oh, we're trying and mm-hmm. are you guys having kids yet? Mm-hmm. It's both incredibly personal, but it's also something that literally happens or has happened mm-hmm. billions of different times mm-hmm. over the course of humanity. People are getting pregnant and having children all the time. And yet we tap dance around that topic. And I don't say that to make light of it or take the significance of it away. And your loss I can only assume must have been incredibly profound, but you're actually not on a team of one. There are so many other Mm -hmm. couples and mothers out there who went through exactly what you went through. We just don't talk about them and you don't really form membership clubs or more appropriately, we don't Mm -hmm. form support groups, which probably would be helpful to a lot of people. Fortunately, you know, I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll stop. Speaking as the guy who's never been pregnant, we don't even have a kid yet, but I'll speak about something that I actually live, which is my disability again. Like the more we talk about it, in my opinion, the better society gets with dealing with it. And then the more human beings benefit from it and live better lives because of it. So thanks for sharing your story. And I think it's very similar to what I've gone through in a sense. I totally agree. I just, you know, being able to, I think we spend a lot of energy sometimes trying to hide a piece of our experience or trying to show up in a way that's not fully ourselves. And if we can just spend all of that energy instead being exactly who we are, that's like an evolution that I would love to see come fully to the forefront of American society. And like you, I see pieces of it coming into play. And so, Dan, you graduated from Stanford. You're an entrepreneur. You started your own company. It's a successful, profitable business. But then you decided you wanted to jump into tech. And that was where we got to intersect with you through Breakline. And I'd love to like just hear your thoughts on jumping into the tech sector, both just in general. And if they're like specifics around as a person with a disability, here's what went really well. And here's what you'd want other folks with disabilities who may be a little nervous, you know, as they approach this transition, that tends to be a theme with all breakline communities as they're thinking about a big career transition. Like, am I wanted? Can I do this? You know, will I succeed? Those questions come up all the time and they're common across all of our communities. And so, you know, I wonder if there are like reflections that you have, thoughts and advice, inspiration that you might have for other folks who are living with disabilities who are really interested in transitioning into the tech sector. Yeah. So 
I got to go to Stanford, which was an incredible experience. It is smack dab in the center of the tech industry in a lot of regards. So I was steeped in all of the tech stuff when I was a grad student for two years. I chose not to pursue anything in tech and go off and do my own thing for a variety of reasons. The number one reason, probably looking back on it, was that I actually wasn't ready, despite being several years out from injury, having several years of physical therapy under my belt, two years of grad school under my belt. I wasn't really ready to be at work full time, busted my butt in the way that you need to be in order to succeed in any industry, but especially in tech. So I went off and I did my own thing. And at the time, I think it was really good for me. But when I felt stronger and was ready to perform at the level that I knew would be expected, I wanted to get into tech. And the odd thing was I had this great degree from Stanford, but it actually never worked in a conventional job before. You know, I was an army officer, which is a very real job, but it, you know, it's unique. It's not the corporate world. And then I had done my own thing in partnership with a great mentor and manufacturer out of Ohio, but I had been a one-man show the whole time. So I really didn't have a conventional resume to lean on. And so since several years had passed, I knew that actually, despite having this great degree, I needed an introduction. I needed a, a door opened into the tech world, if you will. And that's where Breakline came in. So my advice would be in that moment, my disability was kind of the least of my worries. I just had conventional person worries about, hey, how do I get a job that fits me that I'm going to feel good about? And, you know, disabilities are tough. But one thing that I've learned from this is every person struggles with something at some point in our life. It may not be a disability, but it's going to be something. Everyone knows struggle. So having an organization like Breakline, particularly with your new program, Transcend, where a person like me who feels like they're struggling in the moment can connect with and interact with people who understand struggle and aren't going to be put off by it. That's incredibly welcoming and reassuring. Now, getting in to a job, gosh, I hate to like lean on such an obvious example, but I think it would be silly not to acknowledge it. COVID has really changed things, at least for white collar workers who have the opportunity to work remotely. What I mean by that is I have now joined two companies since working with Breakline. I took a software sales role at a company called Turbonomic, which was based out of Austin, but I lived in Atlanta. The literal implication there was I am a person with a physical disability. I do not move about this world very easily. I certainly didn't want to move to Boston where I'd have to deal with harsh winters and a whole new lifestyle. But what remote work allowed for me was to work for a Boston-based company, but stay in Atlanta where I already had my lifestyle figured out. And I think that was predominantly due to COVID. I believe Turbonomics policy was its sales team needed to be in office in Boston up until the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So that was helpful. Since then, I've moved on to IBM. Turbonomic actually got acquired by IBM. I had a taste of sales, realized it wasn't where I wanted to build a career. And I'm now a part of IBM's enterprise strategy consulting firm or practice. And it's also remote and that's been beneficial. Now, here's the rub. You know, as a consultant, I travel for work. And there have been multiple occasions where I meet my coworkers or clients or anybody on Zoom. 
And then I show up in an office in person. I'm like, hey, I'm Dan. You've seen me from, you know, mm -hmm. my shirt up. Here's my whole body. And by the way, I have robot legs. And that probably never came across in, you know, a video call. And so that is a very real thing that happens that I have to deal with. And I am 38 years old. You know, the U.S. Army trained me to jump out of airplanes and move long distances and conduct combat operations. I'm not a stranger to scary experiences, but every time I meet someone new, I have to stop and think, how am I going to be perceived? What's their reaction going to be? So some things are inescapable, I guess, but... I like remote work because it gives me a chance to kind of build a rapport or get to know someone before they necessarily know about me, or at least I can kind of control when that information gets out. So that's an upside that I hope a lot of workers get to benefit from. Mm -hmm. But at the end, it's double-edged because, you know, people sit on their video calls and probably don't think much about the person across from them. Whereas when you meet in person, although it may be an awkward moment, it's just a moment. And then once you sit down and you shake hands, you sit down, you start working, then you can really get to know someone. And in an ideal world and in an ideal office, you judge someone on their capabilities and their output and not on the way they look or what disability, visible or invisible, they may or may not have. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I answered your question exactly. But. Yeah. And there were a couple of things in there that you said that really resonated. One of your statements was, I wasn't ready. And I wanted to double tap on that mm -hmm. because I think sometimes we get into this mindset that it's now or never. And I had that mindset actually, Dan, when I was leaving Stanford as a student, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I did not have the idea, nor did I have the risk profile or the risk tolerance to do it. And I remember grieving that like, ugh. I'm missing my shots. <laughs> you know, I just can't. Can I say something there, Bethany? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember leaving Stanford and not wanting to be an entrepreneur and <laughs> thinking, I just got a business degree from Stanford. I better be an entrepreneur. And honestly, that was a big reason of why I went in the direction that I did. That is so funny. <laughs> I am very happy at IBM in a big bureaucracy. Yeah. I've come to learn that about myself. And I think that that's awesome. And it goes to your point, which is something that I've come to realize, Dan, which is you can do whatever you want at mm -hmm. any time. And so at some point, the time was right for you to transition into tech and you did it. And so I hope for folks listening to this conversation, just take that point away. If it's today, great. If it's two years from now, that's okay too. You can do whatever you want at any time when you decide that the time is right for you. The other thing that you were talking about and that you've talked about a couple of times is the willingness to ask for help. And this too, like, I don't know if it's this American cultural fascination with self-sufficiency or something. You know how we have like the fragmentation of the American family where everyone is supposed to split and like your parents are 80 and living by themselves and no other culture does that. Yeah. But it's about like, I think that there is this self-sufficiency thing with Americans. And yet the most successful people, Dan, that you and I both know are experts at asking for help. And so like, if we can just get over our reluctance to put our hand up, I think that that's becomes a source of strength, actually, to achieve the thing that you want to achieve. If it's big, it often takes another person, you know, coming alongside you in some way. 
I totally agree. I hear from other people pretty often that I must be pretty gritty or pretty resilient. And there's certainly some truth to that. But I think the reason I've been able to be successful is because I'm resilient without being obstinate. I will take advantage of help when I need it. And I credit my parents for raising me that way, essentially for instilling in me the understanding that problems don't get better with age. Like Mm -hmm. if you confront a problem early, it may be uncomfortable, but you'll resolve it and you'll move past it. But if you hide a problem, it only gets worse. So my parents taught me that. And then my time in the army really hammered it home and it was proven on the battlefield. In combat, you do not wait to make a decision. You do not wait to ask for help. You are resilient and you may need to shoulder a tremendous burden by yourself from time to time. But, you know, leading soldiers in combat is the quintessential experience of teamwork. I literally would not be alive today if it hadn't been for other people helping me. So Mm. I think a lot of people with disability pride themselves on being resilient and not needing help. And I totally get it. Mm -hmm. When I'm in the airport, I know it may look awkward to you. I've got three pieces of luggage stacked on my lap and I'm making my way, you know, down the terminal. Like, don't offer to help me. Like, I've got a plane to catch. Like, this is not my first rodeo. You know, it sort of belittles me if you think I can't handle something. Mm -hmm. At the same time, when I pop a tire and those bags go flying and I'm late for the plane, yeah, give me a hand, you know, just like anyone else. So yeah, resilience matters, but taking advantage of resources also matters. And if you want to put it in a business context, it shows intelligence. If you're a business owner, you know, or a manager and you do not take advantage of resources that are at your company's disposal, then you're leaving revenue on the table. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dan, in your description of showing up over Zoom, where people can see you kind of from the waist up and then showing mm-hmm. up in person and that experience, your experience of them experiencing you for the first time as a person with a disability and sometimes reacting to it, what would you want well-meaning people to know? Like, the person who wants to do the right thing, who wants to show up in a way that helps them be at their best and you be at their best and everybody in the room be at their best. Is there a lesson to be learned? Is there some advice that we can pass along to folks that eliminates that sense, even for a fraction of a second, this is awkward? I know exactly how I like to be received and interacted with. I can't tell you that what I like is what everyone else likes. So this is just for me. But what I appreciate is someone acknowledging in a friendly, genuine manner, like, hey, you're a little different. Nice to meet you. Like, you know, I'd love to hear how the legs work one day, but, you know, let's get to work. You know, something like that. Like, to be honest, kind of ignoring it seems a little awkward. Like, come on, I look different. And again, this is just for me. I don't take my injury. Personally, I am comfortable talking about it. So it may not work for everyone else. But I just showed up in New York for an in-person thing last week. I met the partners that I've been supporting for weeks now. I met them for the very first time. I am sitting in my wheelchair wearing shorts and with my prosthetic legs on, I show up, you know, put my laptop on the table and I say, hey, I'm Dan. It's nice to meet you in person. And they both said, 
wow, that didn't come across in our video calls. Pretty cool. Nice to meet you. And I said, awesome. Like, yeah. you know, they're acknowledging the reality. They're, you know, after we work with the client, we're going to go get dinner. We'll have a glass of wine and they can ask me any questions they want. And I can tell them as much of my story as I want. That's what I like. Again, yeah. it's not one size fits all for everyone. I guess my advice to someone on the other side, if you're meeting someone with a disability, it yeah. is, you know, err on the side of politeness. You can never go wrong with that. But understand, you can be so polite that you make things awkward. Yeah. That's all. When I returned to work after my husband and I lost our son, I remember it was always a relief to me when someone would just do a quick acknowledgement, like, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss and I am happy that you are back. <laughs> because then I didn't have to carry my emotional burden and theirs as well. Sometimes when people don't acknowledge reality, I felt it almost placed more of the burden on me to make sure that they were comfortable with me rather than like we're both in this experience together. I think every person with a disability that you would mention that to could relate to that. I often feel like I have to support the other person's, you know, emotions as well as my own in the moment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Dan, we're coming up on time. And the last question I have is, is there anything, especially as you think about folks who may be interested in participating in Breakline Transcend, you know, but also maybe a little anxious about it or feeling maybe a little vulnerable about the idea of taking a new direction in their career? Anything that you'd want to say to folks who are ruminating on it, but also perhaps a little concerned about the unknown. Yeah. My advice would be that the concern is totally normal. It does not define you. And like I mentioned earlier, every single person, despite what they may present to the world, despite what they show on their Instagram or on their Facebook, every person has struggled with something. And every person has been nervous when they've started something new. Anytime you change direction, it is nerve wracking, even if you have all the resources at your disposal. So to anyone that wants to get in touch with Breakline and take advantage of the Transcend program, I encourage them to do it. And don't be afraid. The more us people with disabilities are out in the world, the better we make the world for ourselves and for everyone else. And if you think you deserve to be at the table, then take a seat at the table. Dan Bershinsky, you were first introduced to me, unbeknownst to you, as an American hero. I'm here to say that's absolutely true. I so appreciate the time with you today. Thank you for chatting with us. And thank you for helping us celebrate the launch of Breakline Transcend. Thank you, Bethany. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for the help you gave me. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.